You're listening to the Urban Astronomer Podcast. Hi there. Thank you for listening to episode one of Urban Astronomer Podcast's brand new season. This is our 43rd episode since the podcast was first launched back in February 2017, and I'm thrilled to be back on the air with you. We're mostly keeping things the same, but there are some important changes. From the beginning, this was always a pretty disorganized show. There was no fixed schedule or plan, so I'd release episodes as they became available. This meant that new episodes would only come out whenever it was convenient for me, and listeners like you would never know in advance when the next one would be coming out. At the end of each episode, I'd make a promise for the next release date, but these dates were always based more on hope and ambition than any real plan. And while it was all very charming and artisanal, It also meant that you could not rely on me to keep my word, and I'm pretty sure a lot of other listeners eventually gave up on me. So, yeah, new plan, seasons. Everything is planned in advance, content is written and recorded to a fixed schedule, and you get your episodes when you expect them, which in this case means every fortnight for 12 episodes. But aside from that, everything should be much the same. Some episodes will be interviews with interesting people connected to South African astronomy. Some will be loaded with science explainy stuff that so many of you have written to ask about. Apparently those are very popular, so you're going to get a lot more of them. The only thing that I've had to cut, sadly, is the space mission updates. Clem Unger, my friend and part-time co-host, has unfortunately had to step back for a while. He was always far more interested in the various spacecraft travelling out in the solar system, exploring and doing science... And he knew far more about the subject than I did. So, until he's able to rejoin the show, I'm afraid we're going to be silent on that subject. But until then, it's interviews and science explainy stuff. This episode features an interview with Dr. Wendy Williams, a radio astronomer from Cape Town who currently works in the Netherlands for the University of Leiden. She works with the LOFAR array, which scans the skies at the same rough frequencies that are used by broadcast TV, air traffic control, police radios, and so on. We spoke about her current research, and she told me how these arrays of radio antennas work together to create an image, um, astronomy developments in Africa, and more. But before I play you that interview, a quick note on audio quality. Since we were in opposite hemispheres at the time of our conversation, I had to get creative with the recording, and audio quality is not as good as I would have liked. I think we're still quite audible. You can hear what we're saying. But you can also definitely tell that we weren't in the same room. So, with that caveat, here is Dr. Wendy Williams. Can you state for me, can you tell us your name and title and a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, I guess I'm Dr. Wendy Williams. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm, I guess, a South African living here in the Netherlands. Uh, I'm currently a a postdoctoral researcher here at the um, Leiden Observatory, part of Leiden University. Um, but I, I grew up in South Africa and I did my initial training, my undergraduate and, uh, master's degrees in Cape Town. Mm. Were you from Cape Town or was that just where you had to study? No, no, I am from Johannesburg originally. Well, not Johannesburg itself, just outside Joburg. Um, Mm. but I went down to Cape Town to study because at the time it was the only university really offering a, um, degree in, I think even at the time they started the undergraduate degree in astrophysics. So I did astrophysics and um, physics uh, joint major at UCT. Okay. All right. 
Uh, why astronomy? What's what got you there? Yeah, that's always a good good question to ask people. Um, <laughs> I actually my my father had a an interest in in astronomy. He was a amateur astronomer. Um, he stopped doing it a little bit uh, when I was growing up, but he always had an interest in in astronomy, but also in nuclear physics, that kind of thing. Um, he worked as a, a computer engineer, sort of software. Um, networking specialist, um, but he like had me. an interest in, in astronomy, and uh, I guess I got it from him. I remember going to some open nights at the observatory in Johannesburg, um, and just yeah, always had an interest really in in space, what's out there, how does it all work, that kind of stuff. Mm. Okay, and so from there was so was it an obvious choice to study astronomy, or, or did you lead up to that over time? Um, it, yeah, it seemed fairly obvious that I wanted to be an astronomer, and uh, that meant that I had to go to university, I had to get a physics degree, I had to uh, move on and get a PhD. Um, I, I was maybe a little bit stubborn, I think, in my decision, I'm like, this is what I want to do, and that's what I, I went off and did without thinking too much more about it. Um, yeah. Oh, like the same classics, what, follow your dreams and all that, yeah? Yes. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so I'm just looking at your webpage here. You got your masters, and then you then you left, uh, or, or to the UK, and, and then to uh, um, the Netherlands. Actually, Why? Um, first to the Netherlands, and then to the UK, and then back here. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. How did that end up happening? It was a a little <laughs> bit by chance, I think. Um, I was finishing up my masters and thinking about what I wanted to do next. Um, thinking about doing a PhD. Um, and I, I thought maybe to go abroad, um, South Africa does have some, some great opportunities for, for studying, but I think you'll know that astronomy is quite an international uh, field. Mm. Uh, so yeah. I thought it would be good to, to go abroad and get some experience. Um, so I started applying to PhD programs. Um, I didn't apply to too many. Um, but then one of my professors in Cape Town actually went to a, a conference uh, I think it was over here even, um, and then met my PhD advisor and happened to mention that I was looking for PhD positions. Um, and then he put me in touch uh, with my then PhD advisor uh, and things kind of went from there. He offered me okay. a position and uh, I accepted it. And hmm. here I am now, I guess. Oh, brilliant. So uh, what, was the, what was the topic of the PhD? What's your... What's your research interest? Yeah, so I, since my PhD really, I kind of moved into doing a lot of radio astronomy. Actually, my my master's was a little bit, um, doing a little bit of radio astronomy. It was a combined um, studies of uh, near-infrared observations of galaxies that were originally detected with uh, H1 neutral hydrogen observations. Mm-hmm. So there was a bit of a, a radio component there, and I... I really did want to um, pursue radio astronomy, given the at the time it was still being decided where the square kilometer array would be. Um, so it seemed like a, a good field to get into, uh, career-wise. Um, so my PhD was looking, working with a, a telescope that's built here in the Netherlands. It's called LOFAR, the Low Frequency Array, mm-hmm. uh, and it's a it's a radio telescope, but it's quite different to. Um, what you usually see these dishes like Meerkat looks like. Um, yeah. 
and so on. It's actually at lower bands, so it looks more like what SKA low will be. It operates at sort of 200 megahertz and below, mm -hmm. kind of similar to um, FM radio, uh, digital audio radio broadcasts and so on. Um, so that means the, the receivers are rather than being dishes, they look more like TV aerials, if I understand. Yes, yeah, that's correct. Uh, so okay. the actual the actual antennas are sort of the order of the size of the the wavelength. So they're about two meters or half a meter long, um, mm -hmm. and look like simple dipoles mostly. Uh, and they're okay. stuck out in the field here in the Netherlands where things get wet. Uh -huh. But somehow they've managed to survive for about ten years now. Um, but but what I do actually with the uh, the radio data as I work on making the images uh, and we're doing a, a survey of the whole northern sky with LOFAR and this is okay. sort of started during my PhD and have continued through my my first postdoc and now my second postdoc um, so we make images of the sky the hopefully the whole northern sky uh, at 150 megahertz or two meter wavelengths uh, mm -hmm. And the kind of things we, we look at are, are star-forming galaxies and uh, active galactic nuclei, so black holes, essentially. Okay. So what can you see at those frequencies? What do we see? We see mostly um, so synchrotron radiation whenever you have um, magnetic fields and uh, relativistic charged particles, so electrons mostly. Um, that are accelerated by, by highly energetic processes um, and they interact and the, the electrons get accelerated by the, the magnetic fields and they give off radiation that we see at the, these frequencies. Um, mm. But where that's coming from is actually um, either from star formation processes, so stars form and then they explode in the supernova and the supernova give off uh, uh, lots of charged particles which then kind of diffused through the galaxy. So we see a lot of kind of background light from star formation. Uh, and then the other thing I said is, is black holes give off um, jets of charged charge particles. Um, All right. So then, then what are you working on these days? So right now I'm actually, um, well, two things kind of. The, the one is the continuation of the, um, the, the surveying work that we've been doing. Um, um, but the other slightly more exciting thing is LOFAR also has a even lower frequency component, so frequencies of 60 megahertz, uh, and it's a little bit more challenging to to make the images at, at these frequencies. So that's a little mm -hmm. bit of uh, new work that I'm doing now here back in Leiden. Okay. And what does that see? I mean, if I, I think that area, I'm thinking like solar radiation and um, energy resources, but uh, I'm assuming you're looking at more uh, yeah, bigger so scales on that. Yeah, so my, my science focus is still the um, the star-forming galaxies and the active galactic nuclei, but actually there's a, a large program also on LOFAR, people who look at uh, things like pulsars, but then also, as you said, things like the sun. Um, so particularly at the lower frequencies, the sun is even brighter and you can see all the... Um, uh, there's actually recently just a, a monitoring program that uh, some people were looking at at the sun at the same time as as another observatory was observing the sun. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm curious about about how the the telescope itself works. I mean, what kind of? I mean, is it? How do you aim it? If it's just a field of antennas, <laughs> my, my radio isn't very strong. I don't know a lot about how radio works. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good question, actually, because usually you have a dish and then you point at wherever the dish points at. Um, mm. 
but in um, a similar way to when you have a whole lot of dishes together, we use a method called aperture synthesis by inserting um, electronic delays to the signals coming from each telescope so that it's as if the wavefront of EM radiation is arriving at all the different dishes simultaneously. Um, and in that way, we put the signals together coherently uh, rather than incoherently where they would, uh, the wavefronts would distract and you wouldn't see anything. Um, so in that way, we can simulate one entire uh, essentially mirror that would be the size of the, the separations between the dishes. But now for, for LOFA, we don't have dishes. We've just got individual dipoles. But the, a similar principle applies. So you insert an electronic delay between the signals coming from some of the dipoles, and that delay varies for each of the, the dipoles in the, the station, and they're you know, several tens of them in each station. Mm-hmm. Um, and by adjusting the, the electronic geometric delays, you can essentially um, add up the radiation coming from a specific part of the sky uh, coherently. So it's effectively controlling the pointing of the telescope electronically. Okay, so if I understand that, then that would mean you would choose a direction to be looking in, <clears throat> to be looking in, yes. and you would calculate the what the delay would be for each element in your array. Yes. And then apply that, and then see what's what comes out. Yes. Okay, and then you can scan across the sky by then just adjusting those timings. Yes. And actually, the, okay. the more interesting thing is you can apply um, different de- delays simultaneously and record the data at the same time in different directions. It's quite a cool thing. Can you do this after the facts? Like if you record each element separately? Um, then... in, in, in principle, yes. But you would have to record the data at an extremely high um, time and mm. frequency resolution. Okay, okay. Yeah, so I, I actually didn't have that many questions, So, but I see we, we're moving quite quickly. Um, is there anything you'd like to like to discuss or bring up? Or? Um, hmm. I think one of the, the maybe projects I'd like to highlight that I've been involved in, um, not this year, but the, the previous two years when I was in, in the UK, there's, I'm not sure if you've come across it before, the um, Development in Africa with Radio Astronomy uh, program. It was I actually the... haven't, no. You do? No, I haven't. I, I mean, oh. I, I know about OAD and I, not that particular one I haven't heard of. All right, okay. Yeah. Um, so it's a, um, it was originally a UK-Newton-funded joint UK and South Africa program, but I think now um, the Netherlands through uh, JIVE, what is JIVE, the joint VLBI network i can't remember what the acronym stands for um but they've also contributed many so what we've been doing is is training uh doing radio astronomy courses in a number of african countries so i went uh, two years ago to botswana and a year ago to uh, madagascar to do a two-week course teaching um young masters uh, undergraduate students a course on on radio astronomy so what i did was just um one of the modules, which is more practical, um, how to actually analyze and reduce radio data, and some other people do um, more theoretical uh, astrophysics-related related modules. So I think it's a, it's a really exciting program and really fun to be involved in. 
Um, and the the whole aim is to um, sort of transfer skills uh, and develop a, uh, a new generation of radio astronomers within Africa, um, all towards building not just for the uh, Square Kilometre Array, but also for the African VLBI network, which is hopefully one day going to be a network of um, converted ex-telecommunications dishes into a, a new array of radio telescopes, which would be quite exciting. I believe they, was it in Ghana where they've, they've, they've begun with this? Yes, converting the yes. So, so Ghana have, I think they've already commissioned their, their telescope. Okay. All right. And uh, when was that, did you say, about uh, two, three years ago? Or? Um, so the, the practical unit usually runs in June, July. Uh, and I went two years ago, so 2017 in Botswana and 2018 in um, Madagascar. Okay. And I suppose this will tie into it at some point yes uh, certainly if there are I think in the later phases of SKA further stations in other African countries okay all right all right um, if uh, this is something I ask everybody if somebody was to say a young learner or young astronomer wanted to you know kind of follow in your footsteps become a research astronomer what's what, what advice would you give them what mistakes should they avoid? What things should they aim for? <laughs> <laughs> That's a um, a good question, actually. I remember, um, obviously, when, when I was young, I, I had this idea that I wanted to be an astronomer. I don't really know where, where it come from, came from, but um, I was pursuing this. And at some point I did, um, I met with uh, an astronomer who was based at the um, South African Astronomical Observatory. Um, I don't really remember who it was. Um, but we had a, a conversation, and he asked if I enjoyed traveling. Um, it seems a bit random to to bring this up. But okay, it's it's not something I had ever really thought of. Um, mm. It's like, okay, how does this connect to to astronomy? Um, but it is true. It is one of the the things that I actually really enjoy about uh, being involved in astronomy is that it's it's a very global uh, community of of researchers. Um, and I have been fortunate to to travel um, to conferences and for observing and so on. And I'm, I'm very grateful for my my opportunities to do that. Um, but more re realistically, I think, um, also having come from, from a background where neither of my parents had been to university, um, I think there's sometimes some, some challenges, I think, when uh, young learners go to university for the first time um, and uh, yeah just encounter things that are new that are different uh, and I think I would say to people just yeah hang on to your your dreams um, what was the thing that kind of drove you to make the decision to to do this and just that yeah astronomy is is really exciting and fun there's actually one thing I forgot to ask you earlier um... I've, uh, when I thought of it, um, you were talking. You were talking about um, the uh, oh, what was it called again? The African Large uh, Large Baseline Array. Oh, uh, um, African that VLBI Network. Is that there we go. AVN. Mm. Okay, now I know the acronym. Well, <laughs> I can look it up and we can correct it later. If yes, if I've gotten it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> what I wanted to ask was, uh, what is the Netherlands' interest in in Africa in in, in developing radio astronomy in Africa? Or maybe not the Netherlands as a nation, but at least Leiden University. 
Uh, ooh, that's a, a good question. I'm not sure if I have a very specific answer to that, but I know that there have been um, a number of people here who have been involved in the, the OAD, the IAU's, what is it, Office for Astronomy for Development. Yeah, astronomy Development, um, yeah. So they, they have very good connections with that. Um, within the radio astronomy side, there's been involvement in the Jumping Jive initiative, I think, that said was funding the, um, the DARA program. Well, not DARA directly, but within the context of that. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I'm not sure if I have a more... Okay. Answer. No, I had a few guesses, but I... Uh, which, but I suppose a lot of it has to be with access just to, I mean, there's a geographical advantage. You know, we've got the southern view and, and there's not much else at this longitude. Yes, um, yeah, that, that's certainly true. And, and certainly for, for the SKA, they're definitely involved in, well, obviously giving money to the SKA. Okay. Um, I am... I am out of questions for you. So um, I guess if okay. So if anybody's been listening to who's been listening to this would like to know more about what you do, or maybe maybe chat to you directly, um, is it how can they get hold of you? Uh, yeah, sure, that would be fine. I am on Twitter. Um, my handle is Cygnus underscore ww, um, but I can also be found on the. Um, Leiden University web pages, um, and I have an email address that I'm contactable via there. Okay, great. So I'll, I'll just stick that on the show notes page. And um, yeah, thank you for your time. This has been very interesting. Um, I always try to find somebody who's works in an area that I don't know that much about. I can learn about myself. So <laughs> sure. thank you for that. And um, yeah, thank you for your time. Great. Thank you. That was Dr. Wendy Williams of the University of Leiden. If you're interested in what you heard and would like to learn more, just pay a visit to the show notes page at www.urban-astronomer.com and browse through to this episode, which aired on the 2nd of July 2019. If you liked what you heard, please leave a review and a good rating on your favorite podcast directory, whether it's Apple Podcast or Google Podcast or Stitcher, Podknife, any of the countless others that list this show. And if you'd rather speak to me directly, you can always leave a comment on the show notes page to tell me what you think. Once you've done that, consider recommending the show to a friend or colleague who likes space and astronomy by sending them a link to the podcast page at open-astronomer.com and telling them to hit the subscribe button. This way, they'll get every episode downloaded to their device automatically and they won't have to set reminders in their calendar to find the episodes themselves on the website. Uh, next, yeah, I'd like to thank my supporters on Patreon. If you are really a fan of the show, uh, I would like to ask you to offer more concrete support by pledging a small donation of a few dollars every month. That small contribution goes a long way to covering the basic expenses of producing the show, and I appreciate every cent. Finally, I want to thank each and every one of you for taking the time to subscribe or downloading the show and listening to it. You are the reason I do this, and... I want to make your day that little bit better. I want you to have a slightly better understanding of how the universe works and what it means to be an astronomer and why South Africa is such an amazing place to do it in. Next episode, which airs on the 16th of July, features the first in a new series of Science Explainy Bits, where I answer the question that you might never have even thought to ask, why are planets always round and never some other shape? If you think you know, 
go ahead and tweet your ideas and I might read them out before I give the answer. Until next episode, though, thank you for listening. Cheers and clear skies.